me to Ephesians, I rather Philippians 1. And let us start reading there from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God, Philippians 1 verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul is in prison. It has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faith, fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your prayers and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then follows our text, verse 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord.
congregation of our Lord and Savior, what is the most important thing in your life? We don't often reflect on that anymore. We should. We should find time to reflect on such things. What is most important in your life? Well, let me help you a little bit. Whatever is most important in your life, it should be what is most important for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the most important in your life. You tell me, how can you say that, Pastor? How dare you say that? My life is mine. Well, I can say it because that is what Paul is saying here. Through the Holy Spirit. He says, whether I am coming to you or whether I can make it to you, whether I'm present, whether I'm absent, I only want one thing. I, I want to hear only one thing. That you walk according to the gospel and that you stand firm in one spirit, contending for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, not being startled by the adversaries. I, I think you will agree with me. If he says, whether I'm there, whether I'm not there, whether I'm coming, where I can make it, whatever, this is what I want for you. And that must be most important. And so it should be also the most important thing for us individually. Paul saw himself as a mid-ranking officer on the battlefield on a foggy day rallying the troops in a cosmic battle between good and evil. And that is what he's doing here. A mid-ranking officer somewhere in Europe there imagine a, a battle and he's rallying the troops in the midst of the fog of war. Jesus has achieved the final victory or the decisive victory on the cross and through his resurrection. But we are still involved in a struggle until he has subdued, that is our Lord, all his enemies unto his feet, until he will come with power. Until that day, if you look at the last verse of what we've read, we are all involved in a conflict. We don't like conflict, do we? Well, whether you want to know it or not, if you're a Christian, you are called to a conflict. The other word you can use there is struggle. We are in a struggle until he comes. And now Paul is calling upon the church in Ephesus to take their stand against the dark, sinister powers of evil that are at work. We are the children of light. All those that are in Christ Jesus are the children of light and we are locked in battle with the forces of evil. And so Paul is only 
shouting out the commands of the supreme commander. That's all he's doing. Who is Paul after all? He's just a human being. But he is now the apostle of Jesus, the ambassador of God. And in this war, there is no neutral zone. We must all take our stand in this great battle. So that should be the number one concern for the church and for you and me individually. Whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And you will hear immediately, uh, this is a collective concern. This is all of us side by side together. There has been an unhealthy emphasis in Protestantism and evangelicalism for many, many years on the individual. Individual is important, by the way. You cannot stand side by side as one together if you are not individually truly saved by the grace of God in Jesus. Because if you are not saved, the gospel will not be precious to you and you will not stand with everyone else. And yet that does not mean we stick with the individual. There has been an undue, unhealthy focus on the individual for too long. This is a collective concern. Together, that we stand as one contending for the gospel. And we can't go into that, but in the very next famous chapter of Philippians 2, shows you that this unity to stand side by side together will be impossible without imitating Christ, without humility. If we seek our own interest, if we live for our own selfish ambitions, it's, it's over. We've lost. So we can't go into that. But this is assumed. We can only do this as we follow Jesus and lay down our own vain ambitions and follow him as he went to the cross. And so we are willing to obey all the way our Heavenly Father. But we can't go into that. We will focus on this, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. So first of all, notice there, He wants them to stand firm. That means steadfast, constant, strong. That's what God told Joshua long ago. Joshua, take courage, be strong. That's what he's talking about. Not to be intimidated by the adversary. Be fearless, be bold, immovable. Let nothing move you, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Always give yourself, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, show courage, be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16. That is the idea here. 
to be firm in the Lord, not in the flesh, in the Lord. <clears throat> the second is to be united. To be united. He speaks of to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. And you get the picture there, side by side. No one is running away. No one is absent. Everyone knows his place in the ranks. In one spirit means with the same conviction. With one mind can also mean with the same affection. The same conviction, the same affection. The same vision, the same passion. You're convinced of the same thing and you're animated by the same spirit. How you see things, how you feel about it. There is no room here for bipartisanship and alternate opinions and factions and what have you. So that is what he's saying. Be firm and in one spirit with one mind. Side by side contend for the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. You will know that it is virtually impossible to get people together to rally for anything in this world. Just think how hard it was to get people on the same side to fight COVID. Whatever it is. Because why? We, we couldn't agree on how dangerous it is or how to combat it. There were a whole range of opinions. Therefore, it's, there's always going to be a difference of opinion. But in the gospel, there is no room for difference of opinion. Paul had not the slightest doubt that they will be all on fire for this matchless glory of the gospel. It could only be because the gospel went through their own hearts and lives. It towers above everything. It is the one thing that must get us all on the same side for good reason. And the Philippians, I can assure you, had no doubt what the gospel was. They were all saved by it. It changed them from being idol worshippers into being servants of the living God. But now let us be honest with ourselves. So this gospel should have gripped them as the most important thing in the world. About which there is no confusion. But let's be honest. If you look at Protestantism, even conservative Protestantism, what is number one in the minds of so many Christians? What they want to talk about? What drives them? 
For some it is the rapture. For others it may be social issues. Important issues maybe. Uh, in the reform circle it might be covenant and election or whatever. What makes you tick? What, what is really the most important thing? Is it the gospel? The Evangelion? The Evangelie? But we sit with another problem. What is the gospel? In the year 2022, we need to ask this question. What is the gospel? Again, if you go through Christianity, you get all kinds of answers. For some, the gospel is to say to everyone gathers in the church, you are all forgiven. For others, the gospel is you must be born again. And yet for another, it is the doctrine of justification. And yet for another, it's about healing and prosperity. What is the gospel? I can assure you that the Philippians had no doubt as to what the gospel was. And we must sort this out within our own ranks as Christians because the enemy is at the gate. I'm sure you know that. So what do you say is the gospel? Where shall we go to find out what is the gospel? Young people, can you answer that question? Shall we go to Spurgeon? To Billy Graham? To Martin Luther? Or maybe to Beth Moore? Joel Austin? Where shall you go to find out what is the gospel? You can only go to one place. And that is to Jesus and the Apostles. It says, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Mark. According, rather. That's the correct way. It's one Gospel. According to Mark, Luke, Matthew, and John. That means, when the early Christians took that scroll, they said, this is the Gospel. And when you read through the Acts of the Apostles and you read what they preached, that is exactly what they preached. If you read Acts 10, when Peter first proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius in his house, he said, Cornelius, you know what happened these days among the Jews? How Jesus of Nazareth was baptized and he began preaching and he went around doing good to all, delivering people from demons, healing the sick, opened the eyes of the blind. And how our leaders took him and nailed him to a cross. And how God raised him from the dead. And how he said that he is the one through whom God will judge the living and the dead. And that whosoever repent and believes in him 
will be forgiven and have eternal life. In other words, the gospel is the incarnation, the promise of the prophets fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God made man, born from a virgin, living among us, doing good all his life, preaching the truth like we've never heard it, nailed to a cross for our sins and raised for our justification, raising from the dead and then appearing to his own, received up in glory and sending out his apostles, go preach and tell them the Son of Man had to suffer so that this gospel may be proclaimed to all nations. That forgiveness of sins may be proclaimed to all who repent and turn and trust in me. That's in a nutshell the gospel. It's really very odd. And you hear it sometimes and people say, where is the gospel in Matthew? Let me, what are you busy with? Seeking the gospel in Matthew? Matthew is the gospel. We must be excited about the incarnation, the work and the sacrifice and the resurrection, the victory of our Lord, and the implications. Repent and believe, and you have eternal life, or resist it, and you are condemned. That is the gospel. And that gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And then he will come back. And he will judge you and me and all the nations according to this gospel. The wonderful thing is if you, if you read Acts 10, is that we know the judge. You know what a wonderful thing is when you go to court and you know the judge intimately and he knows your case? You have nothing to fear of him? That is the wonder of reconciliation. If he saved us through his death while we were enemies, he's when, when, when we were the ungodly, how much more shall He save us through His life when He comes now that we have been reconciled? And so for this gospel, we must stand side by side in one spirit, with one mind, proclaiming and defending it, not being intimidated in any way. Not being intimidated in any way by the enemy, the adversary. The word here, not being intimidated, means not being startled. It, it, it's like horses on the day of battle being startled by something unexpected. I, I felt it the hard way one day. I experienced it when I sat on a horse as a teenager and the horse was startled, just ran away and I fell down on the ground. You know what a horse can do when it is startled, frightened, not being startled by the enemy. 
Spirit can make us strong when we are united in our conviction and passion. And therefore we must pray for the Spirit of love and power and a sound mind to do that. What does it mean not to be startled? Not to be frightened by the adversary? Let me give you two stories from the world, quote-unquote. I, I read about a journalist in Sweden. She wrote about 10 years ago about the rising crime and violence against women and so forth in some of the cities of Sweden, in some neighborhoods. Anti-Semitism was on the rise and so forth. And so, the response was, from some circles, racist. How dare you write about this? And she was startled. She said, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. This is the worst thing that could be said of you. And, and she crawled back into a corner for many years. Thankfully, she came out again. It worked. She did nothing wrong, but it worked. She was startled. Maybe you heard this Italian prime minister, and she, she came up for all the things we would come up for. I'm a mother. I believe in God. I believe in family, etc., etc. And again, she's smeared. You're hard right. She was not startled, as far as I know, at least. Not startled. In other words, we must by now know the adversary. We must by now expect him to act in a certain way. All that we are concerned about is to walk according to the gospel, to defend it and to proclaim it in one mind together, and not to bring any reproach on the name of Christ, not to do anything by our actions or attitudes that would bring dishonor to him. That's all. But expect this. This is what we should expect. Do not be startled so easily. Christians are already startled here in Canada. If we talk with Catholics or Jehovah's Witnesses or Hindus, we don't, we're not afraid to engage with with what they believe and ask them questions and challenge them. But when we talk to Muslims, we're so afraid. We're already startled. Do not be startled. Do not fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Yes, we mustn't do stupid things. Burning Korans or smashing images of Mary. That's nonsense. We don't do those things. But woe to us if we cower in, a, in fear, afraid of proclaiming and defending the truth of the gospel. 
Then we are like the sons of Ephraim who turned away in the day of battle. Psalm 78, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back in the day of battle. And you know why? Read the psalm. Their hearts were not loyal to God. They have forgotten His covenant. They have forgotten His marvelous works. And they have no longer lived according to His law. That's why they were so cowardly. Do not be startled. What does it mean not to be startled? Shall we hurl back insults? Shall we be sarcastic? Shall we call them names? Never. It means to keep a cool head and to say it even better next time and bolder. To be joyfully fearless. That is the thing you read about all through Acts of the Apostles. The gift of the Holy Spirit. To be bold and fearless. Because we are at least, I speak of myself, by nature timid and afraid of conflict. And it also means that when one comes out for the truth of Jesus and His Word... That the others don't hide in the shadows. We gotta stand together. I was privileged to go to Africa for six weeks. Came back a month ago. I met amazing folks and saw amazing things. And I came back with this conviction, having visited three countries, slept in fourteen beds, I counted it. Boarded ten planes. I, 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 I came back with one conviction. That one thing is needed in the West among Christians now. One thing will carry us through. Forget about everything else, though they may be important. Seminars and books and whatever. What have you. All great. But one thing is needed now. Which only God can give us. You find it, by the way, all through the book of Acts. I saw it there in Africa among Christians. I tasted it and I long for it. It is contagious. It is wonderful. You know what it is? Joyful fearlessness. Joyful fearlessness. Spirit-filled boldness. Oh God, how much do I need and want that? Of course, we make mistakes. And if we make a mistake, we correct it. We say, sorry. It's only those who do nothing that never make a mistake, by the way. But we learn from our mistakes. But joyful fearlessness, that is what is now needed. Looking from there and coming back, I had this feeling that our whole Western world is covered under a blanket of fear. We fear the government, we fear the world, we fear even each other.
we shall never win if we are gripped by fear. Have you ever read Joshua 1, 2, 3? Chapter 1, do not fear. Be courageous. Chapter 2, Rahab and Jericho. Jericho is gripped with fear. Their hearts are melting. The battle between good and evil will be won here. Right here. Do we fear? Or do we trust the Lord? And do we obey? What will happen if we are united, convinced, and passionate? If we are not easily intimidated? The Spirit says here in the text that something is going to happen to the adversary. They who are now so bold and buoyant and confident, they see Christianity retreating all the time in the West. They see we are fragmented, unsure. We are always adjusting the truth. What will happen to them if they see us contending side by side? You know what the Bible says will happen? God will give them a sign. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. God will give them a sign, a sign like He gave to Jericho. If we are united without fear, not only us as reformed, but any true Christians, if we are united, bold and firm, they will get a sign from God that they are fighting on the wrong side. They better come over because they will be destroyed. And it will be a sign of our salvation. It will be proof to them of their destruction and of our salvation. Deep in the consciousness. Read 2 Corinthians Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1. You have a similar idea there. It will be a sign to them. They will get the message which they hardly got for many years. And it's about time they get it. The kingdom always advanced through signs and wonders. Always. In the old and the new covenant. Think of God's miraculous salvation of his people through the Red Sea. Think of the resurrection of Jesus. Think of the signs of the apostles. And the kingdom will advance through signs today. And wonders. The sign of changed lives. The sign of true love. The sign of joyful boldness. It is a sign because it is so rare. 
You see, when they witness this unity and strength in the gospel, it will speak to them at a level where no human argument can go. When we don't fight back like the world does, we are not intimidated, neither do we hate them. Instead, those who, we bless those who curse, we pray for those who persecute us, we do, do good to those who hate us. They will be baffled. It will be a sign to them of their destruction and of our salvation. A sign that it is time for them to quit. They will realize that there is more to this than a human struggle. They are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against God. They will realize that sooner or later. A friend of mine with whom I traveled and preached there in the Transkei of South Africa. He's kind, of, he's kind of an apostle. He's just going everywhere, so bold and preaching fearlessly. He told me, you know, Christo, I've seen many witch doctors converted. But do you know that these witch doctors, even before they know Christ, have more fear of our God than we Christians in the West have of our God. Because they know the spiritual world. They're always in contact with it. They live in dread of our God. Why is it that Christians in the West don't fear our God? Wow. It's because we had three centuries of secularism, materialism, and what have you. Nothing exists but what you can see. People will again realize that this is a spiritual world if the church, by God's grace, lives up to this challenge. The Spirit says something will happen to them in our adversaries. A sign will appear to them. Do you remember what the Sanhedrin said of, of the apostles when they could not intimidate them? They realized that these men have been with Jesus. When they stoned Stephen, they saw that his face was shining like an angel. And Peter wrote, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of the glory, the, the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do not be ashamed. You see, fear works with everyone. It works with everyone, with presidents in power, with common folk. And when they see fear doesn't work with these folks, they're not afraid 
Oh, yes, like the early church, we gather in the upper room and we pray, Lord, you hear their threats. Yeah, we have our moments, but we go to the Lord in prayer. But these folks don't panic and neither do they hate us. Neither do they complain like everyone else. They're just coming back again and again and their ranks are just growing. They are persevering. What's going on here? Like in 2011 when the Muslim Brotherhood took over a brief while in Egypt, they burned down churches, killed Christians. <clears throat> what did the Christians do? Coptic Christians, they stood in one of those churches. It was burned down, ancient church, and they sang hymns to the praise of God, praying for their enemies. Man, that is a powerful sign. They will begin to get it. They are not fighting against mere people. This is not just another religion. Could it be that there is a God and that He is on their side? And so Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, because you endure, Thessalonians, you endured so much since you came to faith. This is an evidence of God's righteous judgment. This is evidence, this is a sign that you are considered worthy of His kingdom and they will undergo the just penalty. He will give you rest and make them pay. The same idea. But now we must come to the end. Paul says, For, for, you see it there? It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His name's sake. It has been granted. It's a gift. God gave you a gift, dear Christian. Like open the gift on Christmas Day or whatever, your birthday. There is a box and you open it and you take out the first. Oh, there are two gifts. The first one is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and all the benefits coming with it. Oh, there's another gift in this box. Take it out. The cross of Jesus. It has been granted to you to suffer for his name. Paul had just written that, hey, don't worry about me. What happened to me? It's actually a benefit for the gospel because now people in jail, even here, the Praetorian Guard is hearing the gospel. Everyone now knows why I'm in chains. Do you know that they can do nothing to us to hamper the kingdom or to Diminish God's work? Nothing. The worst they can do is to kill us. That is why Paul says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing in the heavens or on the earth, in this world or the next, in the heights or the depths. No, nothing. Not even the sword. Ten days again ago, 30 Christians were beheaded 
near Lake Kivu in the Eastern Congo, 30. My friend with whom I visited there and preached to many, many Muslim background believers, I was there very close, sent me some videos. I do not have the guts to look at some of them. What shall separate you from the love of Christ? The sword? They can only kill us once. Only once. And what they do then is they put you in the arms of Jesus. Paul says it's far better. Far better to be raised in the last day in glory. We have nothing to fear. Therefore, Paul says, it has been given to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. I said I was blessed in South Africa. I I mean in Africa, not only South Africa. When I saw the boldness of these folks, and, and persecution is a reality out there. And I sat and drank coffee with a, a friend and colleague of many, many years. And he tells me, I want to suffer for the Lord. What do you mean? He says, Christo, I've, been, I've had a good life for so long. But this is a reality I've never experienced. Another friend says, I'm okay. If we must suffer for him, that's fine. My friend takes me to one of the most dangerous parts of South Africa in in terms of crime. And, And he goes into a neighborhood when the sun is setting. I thought, wow, I would never dare to go there. And he is so carefree, he opens his truck, a nice Toyota truck, which is definitely an item they would like to have. Opens his truck, takes out all his stuff. We're going to teach a group of Christians tonight about the Holy Spirit. Christo, will you do the teaching? And I'm just looking around, the sun is setting. No fear. And then we go into that little shack with 30 people and the lights go out. Now it's even dark. And I have to talk not only about the Holy Spirit but warn them about Islam. And there are mosques. And you know what? The amazing thing. I had no fear. This was another state of being. It's not me. I'm not like that. Where is the fear? God took it away. I was in his will, you know, don't go walking around there for nothing. He took it away. I thought, wow. And we joyfully proclaimed the gospel using the very verse that the Muslims abuse in John 16, 17 to say that the Holy Spirit Uh, The promise is not of the Holy Spirit, but of Muhammad. And we had a wonderful evening. The lights go out. I had to preach by a candle. And 
I say this is of the Lord because he knows how timid I am. And in Uganda, they are coming. In the region I visited, in that region, 16,000 Muslim background believers, and they're still coming, and they are persecuted. And so, my dear friends, the most important thing now is to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, contending together side by side for the gospel. Because our citizenship is in heaven, from where we eagerly await our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He will come from there, and He will transform our humble bodies into the likeness of His glorious body by means of that power by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. We are here because of the hope of the resurrection. That's why we have no fear. Therefore rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. For the Lord is coming. And don't be anxious for nothing. But in everything. Make all your requests known to God. With gratitude. And He will answer you. And He will watch over you. And he will grant you a peace that surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless you by heeding the Spirit speaking through Christ's Apostle. Amen. Come, let us sing.